Welcome, everyone, to episode 124 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're reviewing a film that has a lot of Oscar buzz around its leading lady, that is Netflix's Pieces of a Woman. Along for the ride today, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, why don't you give us your assessment of 2021 so far? Uh, Not great, Scott, to be quite honest with you. Um, Obviously, we had the events of this week in Washington, D.C., And then much more importantly than that, we had Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco being traded by the Cleveland baseball team to the New York Mets um, in a move that, I mean, I knew that Lindor was going to get traded just because the Dolans are cheapskates who will not uh, pay even like the face of their franchise for the last seven, eight years. Don't really care. They're just like, we're not going to pay him. So I knew Lindor would go. Um, But Carlos Carrasco, who's a cancer survivor and has been with the Indians for over a decade, uh, seeing him get traded was really the the blow that uh, stung me. And now the, uh, the the Cleveland baseball team has the lowest payroll in baseball by like 10 or 20 million. So I hope the Dolans are happy because the fans certainly aren't. But anyway, uh, that's how 2021 has started off for me. I guess they figure they're not going to get any uh, what like seat like any ticket revenue this year. So they got to cut down that payroll. To keep it cheap. I'm just surprised they didn't do something really cool with their trade, like trade those players to the Washington football team so we can just have two teams without, you know, mascots in the, the trade. baseball but. team traded to the football team. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be quite entertaining. But uh, but no, instead, it's going to the Mets, who was a team that I really do not like. So that was also icing <laughs> on the cake. Well, I feel like the the way that could happen is like whoever is who is it that has the foot uh, the the person who who thought about going to the in, the MLB draft that one year, but then stayed and had the football season a couple years ago. He played Kyler for, Murray, maybe. Yeah, no, that sounds right, Kyler Murray. I feel like you could have that happen. Like some football team could just trade someone <laughs> to the baseball team there. He could just play. Well, Tim Tebow, I, I don't think he's still playing minor league baseball, but he was there for a couple of years in the Mets organization. So I, I actually, I'm now I'm mad that Cleveland didn't get. Tim Tebow in the trade for uh, for oh, Man, uh, I, there's no way he's in he's in minor league anymore. I'm sure he gets I don't he he ten times more doing like sports commentating wherever whatever wherever mm-hmm. he's doing right yeah. now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, 2021 so far not better than 2020. Although that's not entirely surprising. Uh, the extent to which it's been not as even even worse 2021 maybe a little bit surprising, but uh, wow, yeah, not off to a great. We got start. a long way to go. I was going to say we got like 300 and. 57, six days to go or something like that now. I don't know, what is it? January 10th? I don't even know. Um, anyway, as already mentioned, today we'll be reviewing another of Netflix's Oscar contenders, Pieces of a Woman. Directed by Cornell Mandruxo and inspired by re- the real-life experiences of the film's writer, Kata Weber, Pieces of a Woman stars Vanessa Kirby as Martha Weiss, a corporate executive who is about to have her first child. She and her construction worker husband, Sean, played by Shia LaBeouf, have decided to have a home birth, but things quickly go awry when she goes into labor and her midwife, Barbara, is unable to uh, is unable to deliver the baby due to the delivery of another child at the same time. Instead, a backup midwife, Ava, played by Molly Parker, arrives to deliver their child. 
Though the child is ultimately delivered after several concerning heartbeat irregularities during the birth, the baby girl still dies shortly after due to lack of oxygen and cardiac arrest. The rest of the film plays out in scenes over the next few months as Martha sinks into depression and her life with Sean and her family seems to fall apart. Scott, all the hype in this film seems to be around the central performance of Vanessa Kirby. So is that focus spot on? Is it unwarranted? Or does this film maybe have even more to offer than critics have been giving it credit for? Um, I think the critics are mostly about right on this one. Um, I might be like slightly more positive than uh, the consensus that I'm seeing. Um, mainly because I think the what I'm seeing is that, you know, people are really complimentary of the first 30 minutes or so of the movie, which is really just this long, unbroken sequence of Vanessa Kirby having the child, uh, you know, and it being delivered and then uh, the child dying um, and not so much of the rest of the film. I do think there are some good moments in the rest of the film. Um, I think that this is an important story, right? And this is not a, the type of story that is oft portrayed on uh, the big screen, maybe because it's just such a bleak, bleak subject matter, right? Um, like, yeah. you know, the, it's, you're not going to find many people out there who are really going to get revved up to go see a movie with this type of subject matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, also, so, that's probably the reason why this movie and Manchester by the Sea came out on streamers, not and I mean, Manchester had a theatrical run, but yeah, it was Amazon. Yeah, yeah, very true. But, uh, you know, we've seen a couple of I think this is an interesting uh, combination, double feature, if you want, with uh, with never, rarely, sometimes, always. Right. Which is yeah. um, sort of about the uh, pregnancy stage of it all um, and, you know, terminating a pregnancy potentially. Uh, and then we have this film, which is more, hey, we, we had the baby, uh, but, you know, the baby died. Um, so we've had some interesting films this year, I guess, about, um, you know, women going through pregnancy um, and it, after effects. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the performances are the strongest thing here. I do agree with uh, with the critics about that, that I think Vanessa Kirby is is strong. Um, I do think this this performance falls a little bit short of some of the other best actress performances um, that are in the race for me. Uh, I might just crack my top five if I was, you know, voting for the uh, awards and such. But I, I don't think it's like the, you know, God level clear number one, you know, a declare the race over. I mean, look, the whether it's the best either, though. Well, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't either, but I have seen, you know, some pretty strong takes about it. But And also, to be clear, obviously, like declaring the race over and this is actually the best performance are different things, right? Because a lot of the performances that I would put above this are probably not going to get nominated for the Oscars. So, um, you know, I, I do see this probably end up ending up being one of the better best actress performances that gets nominated for um, the Oscar this year, because I, I do think she's a shoe in for a nomination. But She's a great performer um, and I think brings a lot of um, emotion to this role. Um, I thought the ensemble was pretty strong, though, too. Shia LaBeouf playing her husband. I, I'm glad you said that it was her husband because I was kind of unclear on that in the movie, whether it was her husband or whether they were just uh, dating. But um, All right, that's actually a fair point. I'm not 100% sure that she okay. actually is her yeah. husband. Yeah. I'm not sure either. But she, um, she has a ring on her wedding finger, but it, it doesn't look like a wedding ring, so I'm not actually 100% okay. sure. And I didn't check his yeah. hand when I was watching the movie, so they, it may not. Either way, it doesn't she really does, She does say but... partner multiple times and not – and Yeah. Like, she corrects uh, people. So I so guess – I think he's – but I – but I think he's very good. Ellen Burstyn plays um, Vanessa Kirby's mother. Um, 
you have Sarah Snook, who pops up as her cousin, uh, Molly Parker, who you mentioned, really only has the one scene. She does pop up towards the end of the movie again, but really oh, okay. only has the one scene as the midwife. But I thought was a, was really excellent, like one of the best performances of this movie, um, just for that one scene perform. You know, mark it down, I guess, on the list of um, great one scene performances, because I thought, I, and she's someone who I think always uh, is kind of an uh, underappreciated in the stuff that she pops up in. Um, so I think this will probably be the same, but I think she's strong and I want to give her a shout out. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know that I have too much more to say as far as general impressions. I think the movie takes a little bit of a strange turn in the third act um, and really goes in a direction. And I feel like, you know, this is, it happens throughout the movie, but particularly towards the end, I think we're getting into um, less emphasis on telling the story and more emphasis on giving the actors these big moments, right? Um, you know, capital A acting. We talked about it with Hillbilly Elegy um, a few weeks ago. Um, you know, this sort of, um, you know, again, again, hyper-focus on we're, we want we want to give the actors these big moments to like for their four-year consideration reels, um, even if they're sort of um, going against the narrative logic and, um, yeah. and you know, what, what would realistically happen in the scenarios that the movie has created. Um, and so that's disappointing to see, cause I, I'm always more of a fan of the more naturalistic performances, um, and, you know, less ostentatious filmmaking that is, you know, not making such a big deal about, um, all right, we're sitting the camera down, we're putting it on Vanessa Kirby's face, which is something that happens a ton in this movie. Um, and now we just want you to act, act, um, and I don't know, it just gets a little extra for me at times. Um, so that would be one of my major criticisms of the film. Um, you know, but overall, it's good. It's not an essential watch in 2020. Um, but, you know, it's it's not a misfire either. I think it is more or less successful. And I am glad that this story was able to be told. Um, you know, depressing watch at times, though it may be. Yeah, for me, look, the first half hour, if... You know, that's what critics are pointing to in terms of where the strength of the movie lies, whether it's, you know, across the board for me, I totally agree. Like I was floored by the first half hour of this movie. I mean, there's like a 20 minute long take, essentially, or at least it's cut to look that way. I don't know if it's actually a long take. Yeah. or not. When but... the opening credits come up, you're just like, oh, the title card. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but basically yeah, everything. The title before the title... Yeah. Everything before the title card is pretty spectacular. I mean, there's like a short, like five minute scene, I guess, before it breaks into what, what, what is like the birth, the very long birth scene. But other than that, it's, um, you know, it's pretty, it's a pretty fluid take uh, going on besides that, you know, one, there's like one or two cuts in the first half hour and it's awesome. Like it's really good. One of the best, you know, put together scenes of the year. I mean, I'm always a sucker for, for long takes um, as people, listeners of the podcast will know, but for, for me, it's like, there's nothing spectacular with like what the camera is necessarily doing or like, the fluidity of the of the shot like you get in something like 1917 or extraction or anything like that like you know say what you will about either of those movies like there are really long takes in those films right and there's one that's arguably probably maybe even longer than anything in 1917 in actuality here if it is one fluid take i'm not 100 sure i haven't read that much about it but it's this long shot and it feels really impressive not because of all the craziness that's happening on screen, although arguably there is some crazy stuff happening on screen, but just how it like, just the like tenderness and like how it follows everyone around in the scene and how it goes between the different rooms of the house uh, fluidly, again, following certain characters 
checking in on other characters, what what's going on. I just thought it was a different a different kind of not not what I expected. Uh, like a, a, one of my favorites, if not my favorite, long take of 2020 or 20. Yeah, I guess 2020. Yeah, 2020. Um, it was, and and I was really stunned by it, really floored. And at that point, I'm like, wow, I'm really vibing with what this movie's doing. Obviously, it's like what happens is horrible, but like what the film is the film is doing um, from a filmmaking perspective, from a storytelling perspective, I'm really vibing with it. And you know, after such a high start, it's going to be really hard to follow that up. I mean, very few movies are able with a with a strong start like that are able to really follow through. I can only think of a couple that are able to do it that I've seen before, and and this one isn't able to either. And I think that's understandable and okay, but it it really does seem to go downhill for me a little bit. Not from an acting perspective, because I think the acting the acting is really good from start to finish. But in those big moments that you're talking about, there is you know the one for Vanessa Kirby at the end of the film. Honestly, the one for Ellen Burstyn, which that was a really well acted scene. That scene is just really weird to me. I, I I don't really follow what's going on with the narrative or why it's happening the way that it's happening. Like I I get how the pieces fit together, but it just feels like so weird and so out of place for like what the rest of the movie is doing. Uh, to me, it just it just felt very strange, very off putting. Um, and so, you know, with that in mind, what I'd say is that I think like narratively and from a writing perspective, I think this this film really loses track of what it is and what it wants to be. I'd say probably about like halfway through the through the film. So, you know, for, for past the first act, uh, when I think it's like just absolutely, you know, bet some of the best filmmaking of the year. But, you know, in the last hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, I think what you're looking at is like, okay, it kind of knows what it wants to be in that sort of first part of the second act. But then after that, it really just feels like it loses itself a little bit and isn't sure what it wants to be. And it's, I mean, this isn't, a weird thing to say in the context of this movie, but like the movie's too long. Like, and I think the part of the reason is that it just doesn't know what it wants to be. doesn't know how to wrap itself up. Um, and it was really unfortunate because again, the first half hour is amazing, but after that it's good. It's still good. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to hit it too hard. It's good, but it's not great uh, for the rest of the time. And uh, that's unfortunate because I was really, you know, the first 30 minutes is probably some of my favorite film making of the year. All right. So why don't we just jump into those roles? Vanessa Kirby. We talked about how she's the one getting the Oscar buzz. We talked about how, you know, you thought she was very good, um, maybe not top of your list for the year, but very good. And, and I feel pretty similarly, if not even more strongly than you do. But why don't you give us a little bit more about your thoughts around, you know, what what are the good parts of this? Like what in your mind, if she gets an Oscar nomination, what are the what are the parts you're pointing to? Be like, all right, this is why she's getting an Oscar nomination. Yeah, to me, you know, even though we are talking about and I agree that the first part of the movie, the first 30 minutes of the movie are um you know, the strongest part of the movie, probably. I think her performance is much, uh, sat with me much more in the rest of the movie, right? Because I mean, that the pregnancy scene, there's just, there's a lot of um, moaning and, you know, like noises and burping and just, just a lot of stuff to me that it was like, okay. And I understand that's probably how the real scene, how that would really go down. But like, I, I don't know that I get a lot of that. I, I When I see that, I'm like, oh, it takes a lot of acting skill to do what she's doing in, um, in this particular scene. It's just a lot of, you know, moaning and wailing and uh, yelling and, and stuff, which, again, is, is how it would go down. I don't fault the film for portraying it that way. Um, but I wasn't like super moved by her performance or anything until we got into the rest of the movie, I think. Um, and. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've seen this with several actresses uh, this year, but she she does a good job of like she has this sort of steely veneer um, that sort of hides, I think, how broken um, she is after this uh, this episode. 
Um, and, uh, you know, she, she's, I think, I think it's interesting the direction that her character goes that she is the one who is really wanting to move on like very quickly, right. From what has happened. Like she's wanting to give the baby's remains to uh, university to do research. Um, whereas, you know, her, her parents and Shia LaBeouf or her mom and Shia LaBeouf and, um, you know, the other people in her life were saying, no, you know, you need to do the burial. And, you know, there, there's this whole scene where she goes to like pick out the gravestone, what the gravestone is going to say. And she's just not interested in all of it, in any of it. Right. She goes back to work. Right. And I think we're made to believe that, you know, obviously she had a lot more time off because of maternity leave or something. Um, and, but she goes into her office, right. And somebody's in there. Um, but it's, it's clear that, you know, she, and I thought that was a really strong, uh, way to follow up that, that opening scene of her, just, we get like a long shot of her, like walking into the elevator and then we're down the, you know, halls of her office and the reactions of everyone else when they see that she is, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think she does. She does a lot, right. Because, because there are so many close up shots. You know, she has to do a lot of acting in this movie, um, not just verbally, but non-verbally, as we, you know, talk about a lot of times with performances. And I think she does it all well. I wish that the movie wasn't asking her to do so much, I guess, is my problem. Uh, but I think she answers the call that they, um, you know, give to her in, in most moments. I think the moments that I am not so moved by the performance, like I said, at the beginning and then towards the end, some of the courtroom stuff that happens, I think is more about the writing than it is about her performance. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I understand the buzz that she's getting. Um, you know, personally, I, I, you know, think other performances deserve even more love than this. Uh, so maybe that's why I'm a little more, you know, I'm, I'm not as strong on this performance just because um, the performances that I feel the best about are probably not you know, again, awards contenders. So I kind of want to go to bat for them a little bit more, but uh, there's no denying that Vanessa Kirby is really talented. I've enjoyed her and the few things that I've seen her in. And I think, um, you know, she might even have another Oscar contender next year with uh, the world to come, which is uh, going to be premiering at Sundance, um, which is a period romance with her and Catherine Waterston. Um, and so I think that uh, could very well be this. I mean, what what I've seen from early reviews of that is that that could be the film that Ammonite was hoping to be this year and that Ammonite just didn't turn out to be. Um, film that because, Carol and Portrait of a Lady on Fire have already been. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, there may yeah. still be something uh, new to offer there. At least the reviews seem very positive. But, um, yeah, so she she's going to have even better roles, I think, down the road and better projects in which to, to showcase her talents. But I think this is a good um, jumping off point for her is obviously, you know, she was in Mission Impossible. She's been in The Crown or whatever. But I think this is something where she is clearly leading and anchoring um, the, the you know, narrative here. Um, and she, you know, again, shows that she can top a bill, um, even if it's, you know, in a smaller film like this. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that she's definitely best known for The Crown. Yeah, she's been in Hobbs and Shaw. I mean, that was probably her biggest film role. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, she was a, a bit part in Mission Impossible Fallout from a couple of years ago. And I was really excited for this film for her role. I wasn't disappointed at all. I think that what you're saying about how her performances track, like the most impressive part for you, the most moving part for you is, you know, after that opening act. For me, I, I agree with that. I think that what, what I want to highlight, I guess, in that opening act is that I think that as much as there is 
acting, of course, and there's, you know, very strong acting, even maybe even more so later on the film. I feel like what you get in that opening scene, maybe like something that you get from like Riz Ahmed's performance, I'd say in, um, in sound of metal is like this clear commitment to the role that she's giving. She's giving, right? Like when you get a long scene like that, when you do something that's like what you might call unorthodox for, you know, a a, a performance that you're giving, right? Like maybe it isn't something that's really special that you see, but like the commitment to it, especially over a 25 minute scene, I found really impressive. And then, yeah, from like, from an emotionally moving perspective, I would agree that what happens after that opening act and what happens for maybe like the middle the middle third or, you know, the middle half of the movie. I totally agree with that. That was the more emotionally moving part. I, I do like, I, you know, kind of like I was alluding to in the general impressions. I like how, you know, the, the first part of that second act, how it transitions over into, you know, just ju- like basically almost like a play almost, right? Like it just jumps you straight to a specific day and then it jumps from day to day. I actually kind of like that sort of episodic structure almost of, of the rest of the film. But and I think her it allows her to show these like pretty consistent um, like breaks in the performance. Like you you go from the birth to the first time she's back at work to I don't specifically remember what the next scene was or whatever. But like it, you get these like discrete chunks of where she's emotionally at, you know, in her journey. And I think that that's really effective and really allows her to show the range of where this character sits. I guess it jumps to the the gravestone scene that you were, that you were talking about. Yeah, I think think that's that's the next scene. scene. So like in her office, you get like this really like steely outer layer, like you were talking about. And then the next scene after that, she's at the, she's at the funeral home or the cemetery picking out a gravestone. And yes, she has that like steely veneer up front, but like with her family, like you get, you see the anger uh, underneath it. And the, you know, the sarcastic way that she is dealing with that anger um, and you know, any, any slight and how she responds to that. And I think that's really powerful. I think that's really understandable and really effective in the way it portrays it. Yeah. For me, like the, just jumping to like that kind of other big final scene that she has in the courtroom. Uh, look, like, I think the performance is good. Like if I were to imagine that happening, like, I think that's probably like the best way it could have been done. Just not a fan of the scene, not a fan of how, um, of like the, the medium through which it kind of delivers that scene. Like, there's like totally different ways they could have, they could have gone about, the resolution of the movie that way. And it wasn't the right way, but the, but the acting still was good, right? Like as frustrated as I am, maybe again, with sort of the writing side of it, the narrative or the the screenplay of it. Look, I think the performance is still good. And for me, I I don't know where it ranks. I'd have to think a little bit, Um, but this is definitely one of the top performances uh, of the year for me. I, I think I'd definitely give it a nomination if I were the one determining the nominations Now, whether she'd win it or not, I think I need to sit down a little bit more, um, but I, def- I definitely think it sits in the top tier of, of lead female performances that we've seen this year. And um, like you were kind of alluding to, it's a nice compliment to something like Sydney Flanagan um, from Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, as well as what I'd say, although not as similar maybe in the, in the themes, uh, but like I think like an overarching narrative of like harrowing female experiences. I think it also sits up there with something like Julia Garner in The Assistant as well. So... Yeah, it's a beautiful performance for me, uh, an angry performance that I really appreciated. And obviously this character feel, I mean, I'm not obviously not a woman who has lost a child, but it felt very authentic and very raw and what I'd expect from, you know, Vanessa Kirby, who I had quite a Vanessa Kirby day yesterday, actually. I was watching The Crown right before I watched Pieces of a Woman, and I was watching kind of a very Margaret-centric episode, and she was like developing photographs in 
at the time not her husband but what will eventually be her husband's like basement and she's like also developing a photograph in this movie is very funny uh, it's like wow how did i time this like this very particular episode in the ground right before i watched this film uh yeah it was a big day for vanessa kirby yesterday in my household <laughs> All right, Scott, other performances. You've said that, you know, you're very high on the ensemble here. You got Shia LaBeouf. You have Ellen Burstyn. You have Molly Parker, um, Sarah Snook, Benny Safdie of the Safdie brothers um, in, in here as well. Scott, where do you want to focus your attention? Maybe you pick one or two people and we can talk about them. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, it's like I said, it's a strong ensemble. I do think like people like uh, Benny Safdie and Eliza Schlesinger, I don't, I think that they were, they could have just gotten non-names for these roles, honestly, because they they really don't have a whole lot to do, especially Eliza Schlesinger. Um, I definitely wanted more from her character. But, um, you know, I think uh, Ellen Burstyn has a nice media role as the the mother. Um, I don't know that I love the, like, the direction that it goes towards the very end with this character, particularly her and Shia have a scene together that I was, like, kind of a little shocked and questioning why she did you know, why she was acting the way that she was. Um, but I do think that the the first sort of intervention scene that they have at the house with, uh, with everyone there, um, and she and uh, Vanessa Kirby have a sort of uh, back and forth um, about, you know, are they going to proceed with this lawsuit, right? Because Sarah Snook is the lawyer, um, the cousin who is going to, you know, proceed with the lawsuit against Molly Parker, um, you know, for not properly caring for the child. Uh, and, you know, there's a sort of a back and forth where everything comes out. And that's a moment to me that felt like, yes, there's, you know, it, there's big acting going on, but it also felt pretty natural, pretty real um, to me. Like I could see this family having that that conversation. Uh, I do think like there's just there's not a ton of context for her character. Like I, I wanted a little bit more backstory, I guess, for um, why she is the way that she is, I guess. Why is she so like harsh and, you know, it's my way of the highway a little bit. That's kind of uh, Ellen Burstyn's approach. And I don't know that you get a good sense of why that is. Um, but I think she, you know, shows why she's a, you know, veteran who has been in all number of decorated um, films and roles. Um, and yeah, Shia LaBeouf, I think is, is good as well. Um, you know, it's a little troublesome to watch him playing this character and, you know, a particular scene or two with this character, given some of the things that have come out about him, um, you know, recently in real life. Um, but I think it's an effective performance, you know, separating the art from the artist. Um, I think he has some, some good scenes here. Um, yeah. The, the scene with him and Sarah Snook, I think, cause they're, you know, it's revealed that, you know, spoilers, but they're having a sort of fling. Um, I think they have a good scene together um, or a couple of good scenes together outside on the porch of the house um, after the whole intervention thing happens. I thought that was a good moment between the two of them as well. But yeah, th those are kind of what jumps out to me. I already mentioned Molly Parker, I think, does a lot in her um, one scene, like her facial reactions and stuff of like realizing what's going on with the baby and everything and the emotional, um, you know, pinballing that she does in that scene, I think is, is strong. Um, so it's a good ensemble. I think a lot of people are saying, Oh, this is, you know, Vanessa Kirby. She dominates this movie. She owns this movie, whatever. 
And I get why people are saying that, but I think the ensemble deserves a little bit more love. I don't know if there's any performance that I would point to and say, oh, that needs to be in the Oscar race. Um, like that would be one of my five right there. Um, but, you know, I think everyone steps up to the bat and, uh, you know, does what they're asked to in effective fashion. Steps up to the plate, I think you mean. They didn't step up to the steps bat. Steps up to the bat, you know, same thing. But. Yeah, no, it's just funny. Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, so look, for me, I... Th- I agree with most of what you're saying. I think that Vanessa Kirby still, for me, stands tall, taller than anyone else here. And I'll, and I'll talk a little about why I think that way is one with Shia LaBeouf. I think he does have a couple really good scenes. What you're talking about with uh, specifically with Sarah Snook's character, the porch scene, the scene in her office. I think those are really good scenes. The other stuff from Shia just feels like really familiar. Like it just feels like he just did honey, like yeah. his, his role in Honey Boy again for like half of this movie. I think you could understand why that doesn't mean it's not effective. It doesn't mean it's not accurate or, you know, realistic or how you might want to envision that role. But it just feels like the last thing that I saw Cheyenne right before this was where he did this, this same kind of role in, in terms of the dynamic that he has, oh, this sort of like angry dynamic that he has with uh, his wife or partner, Martha, after, you know, after the baby dies. It just felt like, yeah, this is good, but like, this doesn't feel like treading new ground for him or doing something different. Um, which doesn't mean it's a bad performance. It's just that's kind of how I was feeling about it. And the the I would say the exceptions are that dynamic with Sarah. So like that's something different. Like there's this sort of like real vulnerability uh, between him and this character, which I found maybe not surprising, but a very nice mix to this character, which otherwise is probably at least narratively written, like probably the second best character in the in the film for me. Like I think like ultimately this this movie feels like it should be about the like the relationship here. Like it, like primarily, it's like, all right, what is Vanessa Kirby's character going through, and then how is that affecting her relationship, and like what, well, like what, what she has gone through, how is that affecting the relationship specifically that she has, you know, with her partner in that way, and I think that the film does a does a reasonably good job of exploring that, and also how it's affecting Sean, uh, who is Shia LaBeouf's character. I appreciate that, and then for me, like where I think this film sort of loses itself is like when it starts to like rope in the larger family, I think that it's just like not concentrated enough or doesn't invest enough in, you know, what you're saying here on the backstory, like Ellen Burstyn has some really good acting scenes, but I don't think that the character, although I think ultimately maybe realistic or how I could imagine someone of her particular position or, or, you know, I guess like power over Sean and, how she wants to sort of have like this sort of like authorship over how her daughter or like telling her daughter how she should be dealing with things and have that sort of authority. Like, I think that makes sense, but just like where the character goes narratively from start, like where it is at the start and then all, like how the journey goes on to the end, like just doesn't, doesn't really come together that well for me or, or, or wrap yeah, up got, very nicely. It goes into weird, like villain territory, like yeah. in that scene with Shia LaBeouf, right? Well, I mean, we've already spoiled. So like, you know, she's basically telling him that he needs to leave her um in the yeah. hope that i guess that will spur her on to actually realizing she needs to file this lawsuit whatever but yeah he, yeah. he she gives him a check and basically says go to seattle and make sure when you leave that she knows you're never coming back which is just like at, yeah, very I mean, out of left field yeah so i do think that it's out of left field i don't think that it's necessarily about the the situation with you know, the, the child, I don't think it's about the lawsuit. I think it's just about like, I mean, she opens that scene that you're talking about with. I've never liked you. I want you to leave. I think that you being gone. I mean, I think she has multiple daughter. motives there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. That's fair. But yeah, look, I think it's, I think that is, 
again, like I can, I guess I can, I can imagine that, but it just feels like when they're trying to rope in the mom element, like the, like, and as, as far as long, as far as it goes with like how her relationship with her mom is affected, I think that's like still fits in the context of the story, but they're also like kind of somewhat exploring this sort of whole notion of like her mom also having dementia, which just feels like, look, is it realistic that someone that age is going through dementia? Absolutely. It just feels like it's weird to include it as, as like a narrative detail um, in the, in the, in the story. And I think that that's true of a couple other, like the mom's backstory, which is just like sort of told to you in a monologue in that kind of climate. I don't, I don't want to call it a climactic scene, but that big scene between her and Vanessa Kirby and just like, okay, cool. But like, wow, this is like coming out of nowhere. And this is just a lot. I don't even know how much it makes sense. If I really think about it that much, it's just really weird. Um, again, well acted, but really strange narrative direction and narrative context for what's going on there. So I, again, I, I like the performances or I like the performance of Ellen Burstyn. I like the performance in parts of Shia, but Vanessa Kirby just feels like from start to finish for me still stands above these. And that doesn't mean that these performances are bad. Just, just that I had maybe some question marks around different parts for each of them. And, um, yeah, that's just kind of how, I guess, kind of the way the whole movie went almost for me as well. Yeah, so I think I had a couple talking points that I wanted to go through here and discuss with you about the film. And and the first of which is sort of, um, you know, the uh, the opening act that we've, we've referenced and talked a little bit about the long take. I spoke a little bit, maybe more than you did about it. But I just want to, like, you talked about this being, like, a really important story to tell. And taking the, sort of that one act, that opening act aside here and, and acknowledging that, like, to you, it sounds like the important part of the story is like, what is the aftermath of some, of some event like this happening? And how do you deal with that? How does it affect you? But with that opening act and, and the, I guess, the lengths at which the, you know, the film goes to to depict these details in a way that, I mean, I think you could argue, is it necessary? I don't know. Um, but what did you think, Scott, specifically of that? Because it seemed like a really, you know, emphatic or really drawn out. I mean, it's not really, I mean, it is a really drawn out scene. And they went to great lengths, I'd imagine, to produce that scene. Did you think it was worth it? Does it fit in the context of the movie? Um, just tell me a little bit what, you, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, and I think that's another thing, reason why this is important and valuable to tell. Is just kind of you. It, get, it gives you more appreciation, I guess, for the process of childbirth and um, what people have to go through just to deliver a child. Because, I mean, I've never witnessed a childbirth or anything like that. Um, you don't Who knows? This could, be, this could be very off off base from what it actually looks like, but I don't think so based on you know yeah. the stuff well, I'm reading. I'd imagine they're uh, usually longer than, than this one, but yeah. besides that. Yeah. But I think uh but I think what's really important is like the baby gets born, right? And there's this like because because there's like a, some harrowing moments of like, oh, we need to call 911, the baby's in a shut. But then the baby is born, it seems like uh it's gonna be fine. And there's like a really kind of beautiful couple minutes. And I haven't mentioned another one of the best parts of the movie is the, sh the score by Howard Shore, uh, which I think is beautiful. Um, one of the best scores of the year for me. But um, but I think that uh, and, you know, there's some of it in that scene. But, you know, there, there's kind of this beautiful couple of minutes where um, she and Shia are, you know, reacting to the fact that their baby has been born. And at least for a couple of moments, it seems like everything is going to be OK. Um, and I think we specifically need that because we need to understand the loss that she then experiences, right? Like I think getting her getting to experience, um, you know, the, that huge high from, you know, what I understand of 
parenthood uh, of you know having holding your child there for the first time after your child has been born in after you know again and after what has been a very grueling and uh, painful and process that required a lot of effort as we see in a lot of detail um, you know you you get what you think is your reward which is again you get to hold your child for the first time and you know reflect on the fact that you've just brought life into the world um, and then just like that right like it's it's ripped away um, and so I think that is all important context for what is to come I think because we have because so many people who watch this I think well not so many but because people like us for example or who watch this are going to be unfamiliar with you know the the process of a childbirth and you know what what all happens I think it's important to depict all of this so that we have better context for why the grief is so strong um, for her why she why she is reacting to what happened in the way that she is. Um, I think, I think it's just, I think it is important to, to depict all of that on screen, even if it is hard to watch grueling, long drawn out, like you said, um, so is a childbirth in real life. So, I mean, we're on, honestly, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg, right? Cause there's nine months before this full of, uh, you know, all, all kinds of, uh, different experiences as well. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that they chose to tell the story in this way. Yeah, no, I I think what you're saying there all really resonates with me. I think that not that the emotional value of the last hour and a half is slighted if you don't have a scene like this, but I think it amplifies everything. And again, kind of going back to that notion of commitment, like it's I think that your commitment to telling the story is an important part of like how you tell a story, right? And showing this part kind of just conveys the significance and the commitment of telling this emotionally difficult story. And so I think I appreciated it from that, from that lens. And, you know, I also think that it speaks towards a lot, a larger conversation of normalizing, talking about what might have been like previously taboo things like, Oh, we're not going to talk about like giving birth. Right. Cause that's like something that I mean, maybe for some people that it's like a really private thing that we don't, you don't want to share. That's like your moment. Um, that you're dealing with these types of things. But I think sort of uncovering that and shedding a light on it, you know, for people who want to talk about and share those experiences, I think it, it normalizes a conversation around that that can be really important in, uh, for people who have been through similar situations or have been through situations like that and feel like they want to talk about it. Not that you have to talk about that. If they want to talk about it, then they can. Yeah, because they don't hold anything back either, right? Like, you know, I'm talking about all of the yelling and, you know, screaming and burping and all of this stuff that uh vanessa kirby uh is physically going through in this scene and then you know she's walking around um you know with water you know her water yeah. breaking and all of this i mean we literally see molly parker like pulling the baby out of the birth canal so uh, it you know they don't, again they don't hold anything back it, it's really uh, uh like, like you said which i think it, it clearly shows that they're trying to normalize um you know, talking about this sort of thing, depicting this sort of thing on screen, because at the end of the day, it's a natural process. We shouldn't be, yeah. um, you know, treating it as taboo or anything like that to depict. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And then the next thing that I, I wanted to talk about and kind of get your thoughts on is that I think it's really clear. And I think it maybe if I haven't explicitly said this yet, I think it was kind of implicit in in what I was saying earlier when we we're talking about some of the characters that it's, it's clear this film is trying to, the film is trying to be about more than just like Vanessa Kirby's journey through dealing with this type of thing, 
you know, you have Shia's, you know, Shia LaBeouf's character and how he's responding to it, you know, how his addiction, you know, his infidelity comes into it later on. You have this Ellen Burstyn character as well and and her you trying to have some sort of like authorship over the experience and how it's affecting her and her dementia. And I'm just curious if you think that like, did the film try to do too much? Like, should it have been narrower? Did you appreciate the sort of additional perspectives that are being brought in to the film and it's stretching itself a, a little bit more thin? Maybe what, what are your thoughts on, on this type of notion of like, was the film right to be maybe as wide ranging with the perspectives and the reactions and effects on different people besides just, Vanessa Kirby's Martha. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with them trying to explore these perspectives in this type of movie, but I think that, um, I, th I do think this is the area where maybe the movie falls short a little bit because I just don't, I just don't think that um, any of the other characters, you know, their perspectives, again, are given enough time to develop, to, to take shape in the same way that Vanessa Kirby's um, that her characters is, um, you know, yeah. you mentioned Ellen Burstyn's character, it being sort of broken her backstory. It feels like pieces of, um, you know, what, what is, what we're meant to get from each character. I think we only get yeah. pieces of that, um, th throughout the movie. Um, and yeah, Sh Shia, uh, I mean, I think he has some, you know, obviously he, he handles things in a couple ways. Like there's a really, uh, there's a really hard to watch, like, scene where he's trying to initiate sex um that ends up with him sort of storming out and um you know then obviously he ends up hooking up with uh with sarah snook so you know that's obviously one way he sort of responds to the situation um there's a there's the scene where he what is it? he's trying to get his car back or something and he um he's trying to return goes, the car he's trying to return the car right and uh he kind of goes off on this guy um you know, it's he's clearly going. Character. It's his, it's his yeah, yeah, it's been Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he clearly is going through some interesting emotions, which I think could have been explored more thoroughly. But um, yeah, I guess the movie. I, it's either that you know it's been it puts too much emphasis on Vanessa Kirby's character, or that it tries to diversify by bringing in the mother and um, you know Sarah Snook's character, the cousin, and. Uh, you know, add a real diversity of perspectives, which again, in theory sounds fine, but I just don't think that they execute that well enough. Um, so yeah. yeah, I guess that's kind of my take on that. Yeah. I think that's a good way to phrase it. I, I think that for me, it's, I think it wouldn't be wrong to only go the direction of like, okay, we're really going to only look at this through sort of the, the perspective of Martha. Right. I think it's, it, it would be okay to do that. Although I think there is potential to, to rope in what they did again with, with the Sean character with Shia and, where I think it goes, and, and again, execution I think is a little bit questionable there for sure. I think where it goes further, further astray, and I, and I think I just have the most question marks uh, about is when they when they try to add in too much. Like again, it's fine to have the effect of their uh, on the relationship between mother and daughter, of course, but just how far they go with that in such a fragmented way, the way you were putting it, I think is it was a real. I think that was a real mistake. I think it really weakened some parts of the, of the movie, but I think that maybe taking the time they they had tried to spend on investing in the mother character and reinvesting that back into Sean and maybe a little bit more detail there. I think that you could really could have crafted a, a stronger narrative, a stronger story um, and, and made something really, really powerful, even more powerful out of that. And that, so that was a little bit of a disappointment for me. And I think that 
it started leaning even more that direction in the final act specifically. I think a lot of where it goes wrong is, is where it tries to invest in this character who, you know, of, you know, is it Elizabeth? I think it's Elizabeth is the name of the character, but um, yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause Shia LaBeouf calls her Liz and she's like, don't call me that. <laughs> um, and uh, where it invested in that, it, it just didn't, it just didn't pay off, I guess is the way to put it. It didn't pay off very well for me. And so that was a bit of a disappointment for sure. The last thing I want to say, and this is more of holistic, and this is harkening back to something that I mentioned briefly earlier, Scott, is that it feels like kind of under, I don't know if this has been under the radar or not, but it really feels like 2020 has like ended up being this year of like some of the, you know, strongest films for some of the, I would I don't want to say the most talked about because they're not the most talked about films, but there have been kind of just under the radar uh, a whole host of films that are about these like very harrowing female experiences, right? So like, I think the obvious ones that we've already mentioned are never really sometimes always and, and the assistant, but there's also things like Shirley, the invisible man. I just think that there's like a lot of, a lot of movies in 2020 that end up being about these, like, you know, whether it's relationship driven or pregnancy driven in some cases, right? Like there's just a lot of harrowing female experiences on the screen. And I'm curious where you think this kind of sits um, in that context. And, and if you think that, this is going to be a trend is it sort of just like a serendipitous, like flash in the pan of like all these like very harrowing female centric experiences that are very individual, right? Like, yes, there's other parts to pieces of a woman. Um, but it's also like about Vanessa Kirby's character. All these other films are ultimately about these kind of central female characters. Scott, I don't know if that's something that you've thought about, but it's something that I was thinking about as I watched this film and was thinking about it. Yeah, no, I think this holds an important place because it is something different. Like a lot of the, um movies that you described there i think you could throw those in like the me too camp right like i think the assistant and um the invisible man definitely yeah the assistant the invisible man and even never really sometimes always right which i think um kind of presents itself as being one type of movie but is really more about um a lot of these male characters that uh that sydney flanagan's character comes into um contact with so bringing in the me too angle there and that's not really uh part of pieces of a woman um you know there's a little bit of stuff that goes on with shia's character but uh not uh you know they, they're not really trying to make a point i think about like the systemic uh sexual abuse or anything that that anything like that that is going on like we see in these other films so for that reason and and don't get me wrong i think all those other films are important too and i'm glad that they were um that they were made certainly just because look, we've had so many years of film without telling these types of harrowing female stories, right? Like, yeah. I think it's it's time. It's it's long overdue that we um, get all of these, you know, stories being told. And, you know, I think all of those films that you mentioned, unless I'm mistaken, were directed by women. So, um, well, this one's not, but uh, that, is that your point? This Sorry. one's not, yeah, all the okay, ones yeah. you mentioned. Um, was Shirley so, yeah. directed by a woman? Yeah, Josephine Decker. But, Josephine um, Decker, yeah. But yeah, so uh, well, Invis I, but Invisible Man, is, Invisible Man's not directed. That's, that's true. That was Leo. Um, but yeah, um, I so but I think this movie occupies a different space. Again, it's normalizing pregnancy, all of that on screen. Um, you know, whereas in the past, maybe when somebody gives birth, it's you know maybe we get a couple of yelps and then a door gets closed, and the next thing you know, the miracle of childbirth. Right? We have a perfectly yep. healthy 
uh, normal looking it's, baby. Yeah, a, a yeah, quiet baby. It's probably like actually nine months. You're nine months old in real life. You know. Well, that, that's like basically what happens in a quiet place, right? Like you have this scene yeah. where it's like you think you're gonna get this birth scene, Emily Blunt, and it's just like there's a there's like the monster in the house, but she doesn't make any noise giving birth at all. <laughs> and then the next scene, which is a real compliment, which is a real contrast to what we see here. Um, yeah. So I think for that reason, it's important to think. You know, miscarriages they yeah. happen, like and you know all the time. They happen all the time. Born children. So, yeah. What's what's her name? Chrissy Teigen just had one. Uh, you know, yeah, recently yeah, yeah. and was really sort of, you know, rate trying to raise awareness about this. So um, I think yeah. this movie is important all the, and yeah, all the haters like clapping back at her be like, well, if it was so important to you, why are you sharing it on Instagram? And I'm like, oh, boy, missed the point, yeah. didn't you? Well, there's but that's the thing. Like a lot of women who experience this won't ever talk about it, probably. Right. Like, I mean, right. I, I'm just speculating here, of course, but I, I, I imagine that that is the case, that it is one of those things that is so traumatic and so yeah. deeply, you know, rooted in terms of the grief that you know you don't want to talk about it but i think you know this movie for those shows who do want to talk about it though i think that's exactly right and i think that's why that's why it's the film's important right because yeah. for those who do who who would find an outlet who would find like empowerment or however you want to phrase it right like through talking about it which isn't going to be everyone but some people they're going to find like this helps normalize that which is probably i just talked over you so that's probably what you're going to say no that's that's all i wanted to say really yeah yeah cool um yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add to that. I, I agree. I just it was an interesting thought that came to my mind as I was watching this film and thinking about how many similar-ish films there had been in 2020, not to the individual experiences, but again, sort of like the the very high-level meta themes of the movie. I found some similarities, which I think is great because you're right. Uh, my my theory is that these stories have been long overdue and they're finally getting told because of a like a very slow uh, glacial shift in and storytelling and acceptance and like honestly yeah. if, if we're being honest about it too like okay yes some some of them have been distributed certainly through theaters but like some of the people taking risks on these type of movies are people like netflix are people um you know like a hbo max etc who are taking risks on these types of movies because you know you, you the conversation in the boardroom so to speak right isn't about can this film make 200 million dollars at the box office right it's like will we get eyes on this type of film. And so is that a little discouraging? I think maybe that's a little discouraging. Absolutely. To hear, to hear that like, Oh, like maybe we're not yet betting on this type of movie, making a large box office sum, but a shift, like shifting dynamics around like what, what, it, like what can be considered a successful investment in a movie being allowing people to make safer bets. Again, I'm putting all this in like air quotes, right? Like but making safer bets on films and allowing these types of stories to be told is like really important. Cause eventually, I mean, the idea would be like eventually at some point people realize, Oh, these films are popular. Like you can, like a wide audience will go see these types of movies that that are focused on like these very um, like female centric experiences, and you can put those in, into like the you know sort of like the primary pipeline of distribution if you want to again using an air quotes for that. It's just an interesting shift, and and hopefully a good sign. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why The Invisible Man occupies such an interesting place in that right. canon of movies you're mentioning because it was a hit, right? Um, but the reason it was a hit was because it was disguised as, and I mean, sure, it is a genre film. It is a horror film. It is a, you know, yeah. monster movie. But, uh, you know, by using the genre trappings, they were able to draw in an audience that they may not otherwise have if they had said, hey, guess what? This is a movie about, you know, a woman trying to escape her abuser. Um, yeah. And I think that maybe provides a good blueprint for, uh, filmmakers going forward, maybe if they want to, you know, 
reach large audiences with these types of stories, um, you know, maybe there are some narrative tactics that they can uh, that they can adopt in order to do so. But you know, even even if it's not reaching a, a large number of audiences, I think it's still important that these stories are finally being told. Absolutely, absolutely, because I think that you know you don't have to see a movie to have a conversation about it, right? Especially with themes and stuff like yeah. that. I think that it's a, a really good trend in the industry. And, you know, I think Invisible Man is an interesting conversation around like the type, not only genre film, right? But like it was made for less than $5 million. And, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, that's a Blumhouse model, right? That's not specific to the Invisible Man, but it does help a film get made if you only need to make $10 million to get your money back on the movie. All right, Scott, I think that should just about do it for our discussion of Pieces of a Woman. Let's take a short break. When we return, we'll be back with some recent news, including casting details for both Jordan Peele's and Alex Garland's next films. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of So Like It's Got. If you're wondering why we didn't give our favorite senior moment and our rating at the end of part one, the reason is because I just simply forgot. So we're going to circle back around now. Uh, no editing magic here. We're just going to do it after the break. Uh, so, Scott, what is your favorite senior moment from Pieces of a Woman? So I mentioned that sort of like intervention like scene where the family's all there. Pre- preceding that, there's like a kind of funny conversation that goes on between Shia LaBeouf, Sarah Snook, and Benny Safdie about the white stripes and like yeah. uh, grunge music and, um, you know, talking about the whole Meg White and Jack White, are they married, are they brothers and sister type of thing that I don't know. It, it, the, it, was, it was kind of funny, which, you know, stood out in the movie, but also it, the dialogue had like the natural rhythm to it that I felt like I was missing in other places, right? In other places, you know, I talked about how there were just moments that felt very forced, like there were monologues and um, stuff that were really designed for the um, character, for actors to talk for a long time and perform and everything. This just felt like people chatting, you know, as they would in this setting, trying to avoid, you know, the elephant in the room, right? Which is what has happened to- They were uh, just keeping Martha. it light, as Shia said. Yeah, and so I thought that that was a nice moment in the script, um, which I wanted to point out because we, sort of taking uh, some shots at the script, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for me, not taking an, uh, kind of the opposite, not taking a shot at the script at all here is I'll go with the obvious pick. I'll go with that with that long take. The, it's a 20, 25 minute scene in the first act where, you know, it, it is the birth scene. And maybe that's not that's not a traditional piece of screenwriting. Absolutely. But that's still that is still screenwriting. Like there's a reason why 1917 last year still got nominated for best original screenplay. And I think the reason is that there's a lot more to screenwriting than just the dialogue. And I think that part of that is what you see here uh, in this scene as well. So uh, I think it's a really great, gr- it's a really well-constructed scene. It's a well-acted scene and it's a well-directed scene. So I think that it sort of captures the best parts um, of, of the film for me. And I really enjoyed it. All right, Scott, let's put a score on it. Out of 10, what are you giving pieces of a woman? Uh, I'm going to go with an even seven on this one. Yeah, for me, this was one of those that it was a uh, it was a tough one to rate. There's it comes along every once in a while where where there's these types of movies that are you know there's there are ten in some departments and then they're like a two or a three in other departments. And I and I don't think of this film as that extreme, but I feel that I feel that kind of conflictedness uh, if that's a word 
confliction definitely doesn't sound like Con- conflict. Maybe it's just conflict. Yeah, I feel that that level. Jesus Christ, <laughs> I feel that level of conflict uh, with, with this film because I think there's a lot to really appreciate and to really like about this movie, and then there's just some really frustrating parts of the script. I'm being a little bit more positive than you, but not by too much. Seven point five. All right. With that having. Uh, now been recapped in our part two we can switch over to news now scott uh before the break i mentioned that we're talking about sort of the next film and two directors that we're both i think pretty big fans of and why don't we start with you first some casting details came out for alex garland's next film why don't you tell us about that yeah so alex garland people may know is the director of ex machina and annihilation two of the uh better sci-fi films from the last decade he also most recently did the uh the limited series devs on fx and hulu um which was a little bit of a mind trip from what i understand but that's kind of how all of his stuff are but very much uh very mind expanding uh you know cerebral sci-fi like few directors are making to be honest um you know maybe Denis Villeneuve, to some extent, you know, we were talking when we watched Possessor recently, Brandon Cronenberg sort of has some similar sensibilities, but I think Garland is kind of an artist all his own uh, and is already becoming a name. I think that people await sort of, you know, not regardless of what the film is about, regardless of who's in it, it's an Alex Garland film. People want to check it out. Um, But uh, his next film uh, is going to be his first with uh, famed indie studio A24, who's going to be uh, d- distributing this. Um, of course, X. Ex- well, why did I say his first? Ex Machina was an A24 film. I don't know why I said it was his first, but um, Annihilation was not. So he will be uh, he'll be going back to work with A24 um, on on this film, um, which is exciting in and of itself. Uh, and even more exciting is that um, this film was announced to star an actress who for me, has uh, been given the best actress performance of the last two years, and that is Jessie Buckley, um, who, you know, is slowly making a name for herself. Two years ago, she had Wild Rose, or last year, you know, 2019, she had Wild Rose, which we were both really high on. Um, This past year, she had I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which I was really high on. Um, And uh, I think she is proving to be one of the most versatile actresses out there, um, especially after doing something uh, with with the degree of difficulty that I think her role and I'm thinking of any things had, um, I think she can take on just about any role, um, you know, out there. And I'm sure that she's going to be tested by Alex Garland, whose movies are known for having, you know, a really strong performances at their heart, too. I mean, that Ex Machina has that great ensemble of Donald Gleason and Oscar Isaac and um, Alicia Vikander, and then, you know, there's a great ensemble in Annihilation, too, with Natalie Portman and uh, Gina Rodriguez and Tessa Thompson. So um, he he gets good performances out of his actors, and here he has an actress who has been giving a lot of good performances, Jesse Buckley. Rory Kinnear is also going to star in this film, um, a lesser-known name, perhaps, but, you know, a very more well-known, I think, for his work on the stage uh, in in the UK, particularly. He's uh, He does a lot of Shakespeare and uh, theater productions over in the UK. Um, so fans of those will recognize the name Rory Kinnear, but we don't know too many plot details about this film, except that Buckley is going to be playing a woman who moves out to the English countryside after her ex-husband dies. Um, and that's really all we know, which is kind of how I like it. Um, I imagine some wild stuff is going to go down. Like I, I, I'm just thinking about like Midsommar when we were getting the first details on that movie. And it was like, Oh, uh, 
girl and her boyfriend go away to a holiday in Sweden. That was like the one sentence, you know, log line or whatever that we got for uh, Midsommar. And it gives me the same vibes here of like, oh, she's going to the countryside after her ex-husband dies. But, you know, there's going to be so much more going on uh, because it is Alex Garland. So, um, yeah, this is very exciting uh, that he's, you know, getting back to making movies after a brief left turn there with doing devs. Um, and, you know, to see him pair with, um, you know, one of my favorite actresses at the moment, I think, um, you know, is, is yet another exciting screen pairing um, that we have to look forward to in the next uh, year or two. Yep, I'm certainly looking forward to that one. I think that Alex Garland, his foray into doing limited series with FX and Hulu did not work out for me. I think that I, I think the Alex Garlandness of it all was still there. And I still appreciated that element of world building and construction of narrative. Um, but so many different pieces of, of that just didn't quite seem to work. And I feel like he maybe almost like out Garland himself, Garlanded himself uh, th- there. And so I'm looking forward to the more confined nature of a, of a film. Cause I think that that forces him into making some like narrative choices uh, and uh, that that are probably a little bit better. And then, frankly, I'm looking forward to him working with a better acting ensemble than he had. Um, I think that, you know, Nick Offerman was really good in Devs, but a lot of the main cast besides him were not very good um, in that show. And I don't know if that was like the like the, he as a director was like going for something, like trying to get something out of out of the actors that was a little bit different to sort of be off putting, but it didn't work for me in that sense. So getting back onto the track of having like an, uh, having an ensemble of the caliber and of the level of an ex machina or an annihilation is something that's really exciting to me. Cause I like what hit the ideas that he has floating around in his head. And when he can get the actors and actresses that can really perfectly complement that is really exciting. And clearly, I mean, Jesse Buckley, you know, wants to work with these types of directors because Charlie Kaufman, although maybe not from a sci-fi perspective, like Alex Garland, but like out there, weird filmmaking is certainly certainly on the list of of weird directors out there so clearly she likes going for these weirder weirder type roles unless the biggest twist of all is that this is just some romantic like straight laced romantic drama from alex garland which would be really strange hey look uh ben wheatley made rebecca so anything is possible that's true ben wheatley has a has a movie debuting at sundance i can't remember the name of it right now but i saw his name on the how about that yeah i saw his name out there i don't know if i'm gonna watch it or not but uh it's on my list we'll see if i get to it all right. Um, for me, kind of not switching gears too much because we are talking about another filmmaker making his third film. I just came up with that on the fly, Scott. I didn't even have that written down beforehand. Uh, and that is Jordan Peele. So obviously he had Get Out and Us and his next film that he will be directing and and working on. Uh, the, we don't have any story details at all. There's not even a log line uh, for the film yet. doesn't have a title either. But what we do know is that Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out, um, you know, made famous by Get Out, but he's also been in a handful of other things that we have loved him in and will, you know, shortly be in Judas and the Black Messiah and one of the main supporting roles in that movie will be uh, offered a, or sorry, is being offered a role in that film as well as his Judas and the Black Messiah co-star and Jesse Buckley, I guess, ironically, I didn't even think about this beforehand, but Jesse Buckley's co-star in I'm Thinking of Anything's Jesse Plemons will also be offering, uh, be uh, is also being offered a role in this next film again no story details yet uh knowing jordan peele i think you can imagine what it might be about at least have some sense of what it might be about scott but does this casting news excite you as much as it does me i mean daniel kaluuya long-time listeners of the podcast will know that 
you know, I want this guy and everything, anything he does just feels magical. Everything feels different. He's amazing. You know, if you haven't seen Widows, go watch Widows for plenty of reasons. But Daniel Kaluuya's minor supporting role is is one of the highlights uh, of the film. And uh, couldn't be more excited, honestly, for this casting news and, you know, whatever Jordan Peele's making for his third film. Yeah, no, I mean, look, they created gold, uh, you know, on one previous occasion with Get Out. So I see no reason why they can't um, do so again. I'm just interested to see what the subject matter of this film is going to be more than anything, I think, because, um, you know, Jordan Peele's movies, as we know now, are not just straight up genre exercises. There's a lot going on beneath the surface. And, you know, us, I do think was a strong film in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, was maybe a little bit more muddled uh, than than Get Out was. Um, so I'll be interested to see, um, you know, what sort of sector of, um, you know, society he decides to take aim at with his next, uh, um, you know, project. And certainly, you know, he has a more than capable um, partner to do so with uh, with Daniel Kaluuya at the center who, you know, had his breakout with Get Out and, yeah, like you said, has gone on to do a lot of uh, very magnetic performances, you know, one of them to come, I'm sure, in Judas and the Black Messiah, like you mentioned. So, uh, yeah, no no complaints for me here. Yeah, I'm not sure that anyone will wrest the Best Supporting Actor Award away from Chadwick Boseman for me at this point. Look, there's a couple of performances left left to see here, but he was amazing in Marini's Black Bottom. But Daniel Kluge, if anyone could do it, Daniel Kluge could because he's just so talented and this will be ripe in the conversation. Sorry, he's going to be best actor though, right? Not best supporting actor. So if Kaluuya no. is in supporting actor, then they're they're pushing him for for. Oh, that's right, that's right. They Chadwick are. Chadwick Boseman, yeah, they're pushing him for best actor. He's, yeah. he's in supporting for, um, for the for five, five plus. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So look, yeah. So Daniel Kaluuya could jump right in there. Then I think, I think that's a mistake on their part for doing that. Um, because I think Riz Ahmed was gonna is gonna win the best lead actor, but we'll see. Anyway, sorry. I think that should do it for episode one hundred twenty four of some like it, Scott, do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Uh, I, I don't Scott. Um, you know, I'm excited for next few weeks. Um, you know, we have basically one more 2020 movie to do. Um, you know, we are going to do nomad land at some point down the lane, but I barely even count that. Not Marie. Yeah. I, I barely count those as 2020 movies since they're coming out, you know, so, so many weeks deep into 2021, but we have one night in Miami next week, which I've already seen. I'll plan on watching it again just so we can uh, have it, you know, fresh to talk about. And then in two weeks, our uh, our best of the year special um, is going to get is going to kick off. And you know, I'm I'm excited for that. I think 2020 uh, backpedaled its way into being a, a good year for film in the end. And looking at my top 20, um, and even you know, a couple beyond my top 20 are films that I would you know recommend to just about anyone. So. Uh, I'm excited to talk about them with a couple of a uh, couple of our friends um, who, uh, you know, I think will offer some good perspectives as well. So, uh, yeah, ex- exciting times. Yeah, the next few weeks are definitely going to be stacked. Uh, you kind of alluded to it there, but we're going to have the top 10 movies podcast in two parts this year. So you'll have two weeks of top 10 movies and we'll see if we talk about 40 different movies between the four of us. I doubt it because I think that, you know, there have been some really strong contenders you know, for those top movies this year, but we shall certainly see when that comes around. Uh, yeah, twenty the 2020 versus 2021 conversation is really difficult because we still have like, you know, we have One Night in Miami, 
we have, which is, I think, probably comfortably a 2020 film. Um, because it did come out on Christmas Day, I think, right? Technically in some theaters. But then you have things like Malcolm and Marie and Cherry and Minari and Judas and the Black Messiah, which like, do we count those as 20? Like they're obviously they're qualifying for the Oscars for this year because of the Feb- you know, the end of February deadline. But like w- when we make our lists, Scott, for next year, would you like, w- actually, here's a great half. Like, would you include Judas and the Black Messiah as, as a movie for best of 2021 list when we, in a year's time? How are you, how are you going to think about that? For, for Judas and the Black Messiah, I would say yes. For some of these other movies which have premiered, like, I mean, obviously I've seen Minari and, you know, right. even Nomadland, right, which has had, you know, several festivals, you know, some opportunities to watch it through film. Well, Nomadland and Minari would be in the same boat, but then like Cherry and Judas yeah. and the Black Messiah and Malcolm and Marie. Those no, are the, like, I, I would consider those to be 2021. I honestly would. So then you would say, like, let's say Malcolm and Marie is like, the best thing that you see in the next year, you'd put that number one. I would count it for next year. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's just an interesting question. Cause I don't think I like, there's a right answer if you want to talk about release dates, I guess, but it's so confusing. Cause normally we go by the Oscar. I mean, in the last few years, we've just simply gone by the Oscar. Cause technically 1917 got its wide release in January of this past year, but we go by the Oscar um, deadlines. Cause it did get the limited, it did get that like last day limited release in 2020, et cetera. Same for just mercy. Um, so it can be a little confusing sometimes, especially for this year when it's stretched out a little bit longer. But all right, let's get out of here, Scott. I've rambled on far too long at this point. So where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Scarvey Dent. And I'm at Shelton 2013 on Twitter. And you can also find our podcast on Twitter at Media Plug Pods. So you can subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the episode notes. And don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods. Check out all the different reward tiers over there. Uh, see what's right for you. If you can donate and pledge the podcast, great. If not, that's okay. You can still find us on all the podcast services, uh, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll probably be able to find us. We'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed, subscribe, shared, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, everything. I think you can find us. So, uh, yeah, that should just about do it. Uh, as Scott mentioned, we'll be back next week with one of Amazon's Oscar contenders and Regina King's directorial debut, One Night in Miami. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.